Welcome to Green New Perspective, your gateway to a sustainable future. I'm your host, Dunja Ivanovic, and today we have another guest from the clean tech space with us. Please join me in welcoming Annette Eros, the Chief Executive Officer of the Arctic Ice Project. The Arctic Ice Project is an NGO on a mission to preserve Arctic ice and combat climate change. Their unique technology involving small hollow glass beads strategically placed over the ice boosts its reflectivity and counteracts the effects of warming oceans. In this episode, we'll explore the science behind this groundbreaking approach, the challenges they face, and the potential impact it can have on mitigating climate change. So join us as we uncover the synergy of science, sustainability, and human determination, and discover how the Arctic Ice Project is reshaping our approach to climate change. Hello, Annette, and thank you for joining us on Green New Perspective podcast. Thank you. I'm pleased to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Can you tell us more about what you do and about the Arctic Ice Projects and its mission to slow uh, slow down climate change? Yeah, for sure. So um, we are a nonprofit, and we are committed to stabilizing the global planet. And the, one of the reasons that we focus on the Arctic is because it plays such an important role in climate change and um, the rate and um, really the inevitab inevitability of where we end up with this. And uh, for example, what I want to explain is how much of an influence it has on, on uh, what could happen in the future. And we know that the Arctic is warming four times faster than the rest of the Earth. And um, it was only a few years ago that we thought it was warming two times faster. So that rate of warmth is already accelerating and uh, like more than we thought it was. So what I want people to understand is we all know that greenhouse gases are the main contributor to climate change. And, um, but we had a recent article saying, you know, just last week that summer free, I mean, ice-free summers in the Arctic are inevitable and that they could happen as soon as the 2030s. And what that means is that in the summers when, when the sun is shining 24 hours a day, that there wouldn't, be, there wouldn't be any sea ice there. And if we get to that point, then the Arctic will contribute 25% to global warming and where greenhouse gases would be contributing 75%. So it's really the second contributor to this global warming scenario that we're in. And I think a lot of people don't understand how critical of a role that the Arctic plays in all of this. And um, years ago, we thought that the melting in the Arctic was a symptom of climate change. What we know now, and with this accelerated rate of uh, melting, what we know now is it's actually contributing to global warming. So when I say the 75%, 25%, it's not just that global warming is making ice melt, is the ice is melting, There, there's a, um, you know, a loop effect that it's getting warmer, it's melting, you know, faster, and it's really becoming a major contributor to global warming. And so that's one of the reasons why um, focusing on the Arctic is so important for people to understand that the role that the Arctic plays is really um, our most effective heat shield for Earth, because the role that the Arctic plays is really a um, uh, natural heat shield by reflecting 
the solar energy from the sun back into the atmosphere. And that's what's supposed to happen. That's wasn't balanced for years and years before the 70s when we started, you know, seeing the effects of, of all of our um, emissions. And so the sun is not being reflected into the environment. Instead, it's being absorbed into the ocean. And that is what's making everything, you know, unstable. And so the role that the, the Arctic plays is really we, we need that. We need that solar energy to be reflected. And so we need ice to be able to do that. So. So that's why um, we, we focus on the Arctic because it is so important. And I don't, we don't know of anybody else who is focused on the Arctic. And, you know, when there's such a critical role that it plays, um, that's a problem too, you know, and, and there's a lot of groups that are focused on ocean, things like that, but specifically in the Arctic, you know, if that ice really goes away and we're not going to have much to work with. So it, it's, we're at a critical point. And when we say the 2030s, um, you know, that's, that could be 10 years away. This is our lifetime. This is no longer future generations. This is us. And uh, what kind of technologies is the Arctic project developing um, in order to slow down the climate change and uh, Arctic ice melting? Uh, so sea ice, let me talk about the properties of the reflection. So sea ice typically reflects 30 to 80% of sunlight that hits it. So, um, we call this the albedo effect, and it's really a critical function, which I mentioned, um, reflecting that solar energy back in the atmosphere. So um, ocean water, on the other hand, absorbs 95% of sunlight. So the more sunlight that gets absorbed by the ocean, then the more the Earth, the Earth warms. So if we lose the Arctic Sea, uh, that, that cycle continues and it accelerates. So the goal of um, to increase the albedo effect would help the ice reflect more of that energy. And um, we particularly are concerned about young ice. So we consider young ice to be ice that's less than a year old. And that young ice absorbs more than old ice. So we think about the old ice in the Arctic and it's, you know, meters and meters thick and it's, you know, it's blue, it's been there for years and years. That has a lot more reflective properties than, than young ice. And young ice, um, in the summers, when the sun's 24 hours a day, we're in that period right now where the sun won't the sun won't set again until August in the Arctic. So um, it's it's that when the young ice is really vulnerable because it's it's got that sun beating down on it. It hasn't been around long enough to to get those um, reflective properties. And so we believe that our 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 solution. Um, can help with that reflective. And what, what we wanna do is take really small um, glass beads that are hollow and they're made of silica. So it's the same thing that sand is made of and they're smaller than a circumference of a piece of hair. They're, they're really, you know, it's like fine dust almost, um, but they have really high reflective properties and they can reflect the sun up to 60%. So the concept is to spread a thin layer of these small glass beads over strategic areas of the Arctic, and then we can reflect more sun and protect the ice from melting, and particularly that young ice. So if that young ice can survive through the summer and, and, then, and then get stronger and um, more reflective properties over the winter when it's a lot colder and things, then it's got a higher chance to survive year over year. So. By protecting that ice, we can reduce the rate of ice melt and slow down the effects of climate change. 
So we really believe we have proof of concept on this, and we believe it's one of the most promising climate mitigation efforts um, around. And to to date, we we um, we know that we can slow the rate of change, and we can do it safely, controllably, and really cost effectively. Especially when you look at the the cost of not doing anything, which we're seeing some of those. Um, play out in the real world right now, just how many catastrophes um, hitting different areas of the globe. Yeah, I've read somewhere that actually um, your project and scientific research offers an opportunity to buy up to 15 more years uh, for the world economies to decarbonize, right? Right. So so um, where we believe this is a really great solution and, and one of the tools that we need to, to fight climate change, um, we don't we don't see evidence right now that our solution can reverse climate change, but we do think we can slow its effects enough um, by reducing the contribution that the Arctic is is playing with global warming. Um, we do believe that we could buy 10, 15, 20 years, um, keep that Arctic ice, and and perhaps what we're hoping is, you know, it going away in the summers is not inevitable. If we can get out there and start doing this, then, then we can keep it and we have something to work with. But um slowing down that that rate of melt is going to be critical to us We're just at that point where you know we we really need more tools in our tool belt to to help us with the timing that we're on and um and right now so so the reason the way we can calculate those years is our research right now is focused on two things it's focused on safety and it's focused on efficiency so i mentioned that we have proof of concept but um what we're doing, we're doing climate modeling, and we're also, you know, where we're doing simulations of the best place, um, how much, you know, how, how much of a layer it needs to be on the ice, um, and the most efficient ways to, uh, places to, to place it and deploy it. Um, and when we do that modeling, uh, those computational simulations really help us can understand how this can work. And then, um, where we can get the most efficient deployment. Because the idea is, you know, the, the less we can use to get the effects we want, the better, right? And, and um, deploying across the whole Arctic isn't realistic either. There's, yeah. there's, there's a lot of space up there. So, um, and then the safety factor is um, to make sure that when we introduce this product to the Arctic environment, that we're not harming the environment in any way. We, we know that, um, you know, <laughs> If, if there are unintended consequences to what we're doing, then we're creating a whole other round of problems. And, you know, that's what we're living in right now, really, is, is, is this world where unintended consequences have, have led us to this. And if we could prove to ourselves and the scientific community that this is safe in the environment, um, then we can have, be more confident in doing this and, and really getting the support we need behind it. So. Right now, we're focusing on exotoxicology studies uh, with the the food chain, essentially, in the Arctic. And, and we worked our way up from, you know, microorganisms up to now we're, we're looking at fish. And uh, so far, we it, it appears to be quite safe. And, uh, and it's thrilling because, you know, as soon as something indicates that it's not, then we've probably got to look at what we're doing and, and look at another alternative. So it's really promising um that that we've got both this effectiveness and the safety and those are two things we need to move forward so um our ultimate demonstration of this would be moving out of labs um into field testing where we can fine-tune the details but 
but that would be the next step once we once we get to a point where we believe that data supports the safety. And then we'd move on to permits and funding and other partners and things uh, when we get to that to you know, actually field testing in the real world environment. Yeah, I have to say, I was telling my friends that I'm doing an interview with you and explain to them uh, what your project is. And they were like, they were amazed. Mm-hmm. But they asked me, how are they planning to place those tiny silica beads? <laughs> so- yeah, that's a great question. And we um, we don't have the, the exact solution to that right now. But part of what we want to make sure that we do is we're not taking a bunch of um, fuel burning airplanes and, and crop testing this, you know, across our tickets. We won't need to do it in a way that is um, eco-friendly. And so we've got some ideas. We've actually had some think tanks working on our behalf and, and things. And uh, we know that there's some electric ships that are being um, manufactured in Norway. And so one of the ideas is to take those as close you know, to our deployment area as possible and then possibly use drones or things like that to actually go, you know, get the product and deploy it. Um, but we are going to make sure that our um, deployment measures are safe as well and and eco-friendly because again you know if if you're trying to solve one thing but creating other problems and you know just becomes that feedback loop that's not good for anybody so so we that's something we're working on and we're working on a five-year technology plan we're a few years into that right now um, and that's part of what you know we'll start working on now is really um you know how can we do this? And there's a lot of there's a lot of um, work being done on on um, efforts to do things that are using electric and you know that that aren't um, harmful. And I think you know every year that goes by, which we know we're in a race against time, but every year that goes by, we have fewer options on on what those deployment you know technologies could look like. Mm-hmm. So you know we're all we're all in that balance of we're moving forward with technology, but um, we need to act and we need to get this out there. Yeah. Um, also, uh, when I started to work on the podcast, I learned that um, from, well, my guests from the clean tech biotech space, that um, the, the one of the most important things is actually collaborations between um, companies, startups, NGOs within the industry. So I have to ask you, um, have you had the opportunity to collaborate with other organizations or partners to achieve your goals? Yeah, um, you know, I think you realize the same. I, I think because this climate community is very collaborative, and and I think that's yeah. because we know there's not going to be one magic solution to all of this, right? So sharing each other's knowledge and information, um, I think that's an important uh, factor to all of us being successful. Um, and so we do take a collaborative approach to our work and. We actually made a shift a couple of years ago from doing the research ourselves. Honestly, you know, we were doing this here, um, understanding that we can move quicker uh, and and get the right, you know, experts involved if we form partnerships. So, for example, our um, our lab research that's being done for safety, we're working with Sintef Norway, and they are they're Arctic experts, and, and they are they're right there in Norway, and we know that. Um, that working with them, we can we can tap into their expertise. We can tap into their you know all the knowledge, and and move further faster. So so that's that was a strategic move on our part, and they've been fantastic partners. And then we also likewise we work with organizations that um, right now 
um, we did all of our, we did all, we actually worked with NASA Ames to, um, to use their supercomputer time, which they donated to us, which that's, that's a very expensive proposition. And so they did this for us. And so we've got other groups then that are, are using that data to come up with these, these modeling um, scenarios that we're doing. And so, you know, just even that, that in kind use of the supercomputers, which is huge for us. And then we work with outside groups that are experts um, in, in helping us figure out what all this data means and playing out different case scenarios. And then, um, our science is also led by a group of um, volunteer experts. So there are, we call them our scientific advisory board, and they're made um, of scientists and um, Arctic experts from around the globe that that sit in with us on a regular basis to look at what's going on, what what are what's the data telling us, what we should be looking, what we should be asking for, what's next. And so when we look at our scientific technology plan, uh, they're a key factor in in um, how we move forward. So uh, I think that's really important that people are volunteering their time to help us with our work and, and how we move forward. And then, um, you know, we've got donor organizations throughout throughout the globe. Um, one in particular is called Spectrum Impact and they're out of India and they've um, underwritten some of our, some of our um, studies with the, the data and, you know, and they're, they're investing in kind of using for, for some of these, you know, global warming, climate change solutions, and we're really lucky that uh, we're part of that. And um, and then to date, we've really been funded by community organizations and individuals um, locally. And you know, it's about spreading the word and, and getting people involved with what we're doing. And you know, if we can't, if we don't have funding, we can't do what we're doing. So we're a nonprofit. Anything we raise goes back into the the research and eventually the field studies and things that we're moving toward. But, you know, we're we're here in California and in Silicon Valley, and there's a lot of people that really care about this. And so we've been lucky that they, to date, you know, individuals have been funding us and some foundations and things like that. So that kind of collaboration is really important. And, um, uh, you know, the, as we continue and, and we do get uh, information from other folks and, you know, just getting out there and sharing information about what we're doing then people, you know, oh, you should talk here, you should talk there. And we need more of that. We definitely need more um, collaborators. And, you know, when we get into the political space, when we get into um, our field testing too, you know, when we decide where, where that's going to take place, then we know we need to get those local communities involved. We've got to tap into the knowledge of the indigenous communities and, and make sure that we're um, creating the best case for, for uh, success really and it's going to take those kind of collaborations to do so so we'll keep moving forward with um partnering with people and hopefully have continued um you know success with people wanting to be engaged with what we're doing yeah i have to uh, i can only imagine what kind of obstacles and challenges you guys had uh while presenting this new technology that is probably sounds a bit vague to a people who are not within are not in the clean tech space mm -hmm. um some of the people are well okay we talk a lot about climate change but it's still a new new uh, issue uh, right. we talked about it um a lot maybe in the last 10 years uh globally you know so uh can we talk about those challenges and about the messages that you're using to present uh your projects and your research yeah, um, 
You know, I think that it, you know, the idea is simple, right? You know, put something on top of the ice, it's going to help <laughs> it reflect better. You know, you, you can think of mirrors, you can think of all kinds of things, right? But then when it gets to how do you really do it and what are the effects, you know, I think that um, some of our success stories have been around, uh, you know, it's a novel concept. So in a way, people are like, oh, wow, I've never heard of that. And there's, you know, kind of this interest and draw into um, tell me more, which is good. Um, I think the fact that we have proof of concept, you know, it, it, it's taken us quite a few years to get where we are right now. And, and um, you know, figuring out, um, you, know, the, you know, all the layers of information you have to do to, to, to get the, to the proof of concept was, was one thing. But being able to say that, hey, we know it works. You know, it works in, in really small field studies and, you know, private property and things like that. Um, we do think that right now that we're the only group focused in the Arctic. So, um, you know, that's it, that's a burden in, in a way <laughs> because um, people, you know, there are things that people are focused on, carbon sequestration and, yeah. you know, other things. And, and those are kind of where people are putting their energy and their money. So we come in and we say, oh, you know, we're doing this in the Arctic. We want, we need, we need support. And it's like, oh, we fund all these things. We don't fund anything in the Arctic, you know? And so that's been a challenge for us because people aren't it's aware. <laughs> it's unpopular, yeah. And yeah. people are, aren't aware of how the important role that the Arctic plays in, in what we're doing or, you know, in our survival, really. And um, I just think that, you know, that was a big surprise to me is just how much we have to to work to get people to understand that this is an important part of of part of our solution is, is the Arctic really and not saying just what we're doing obviously this is hopeful but um, but people need to be focused on what's going on up there um, uh, and and just that you know that our modeling you know people who had the time we could show them that our modeling work suggests that ice preservation and growth over time has such a generalized cooling effect on not only Arctic, but the whole globe, you know, to all those things that we're looking at with with weather patterns and more turbulence in the skies and, you know, um, crazy sea currents and, you know, all that, that that's, that's all happening because the generalized heating in the Arctic. So um, it, it's really critical. And I, I wish where people understood that. So um, you know, are you planning to maybe do some kind of education to raise awareness and prioritize climate climate action in, in the Arctic? Well, that's part of what we do anyway. You know, mm-hmm. if we're going to keep getting funding, then we have to we have to educate people on why what we're doing is important. So, you know, bringing them along the way. I think I think, you know, we we've got part of part of our team that's always focused on you know creating small videos or messaging or, you know, sharing other articles that have been out there. Um, and, and helping people understand that, you, you know, I think we're all facing some of that um, dread, you know, of, of another thing. We keep time and time we're hearing, you know, these effects, effects of climate change and what it means and what it translates into. And, you know, as humans, we're, we're protecting our psyche and our, and our, you know, behaviors day in and day out. And just um, it's tough. You know, it's kind of say things are going to get worse, and here's why we got to do this and that. But you know, I, the biggest way people can help us, and and you know, it's 
it's true and and i it is to, to help fund what we're doing and when we look at um how can i help you know we can all drive electric cars and and recycle our plastic bags and or, or use paper or reusable you know like all these kinds of things and compost and, and all the things we do in our daily behavior to help the environment but if if you want to you know really feel like you're doing something i do think this is something that uh, I know a lot of the people that are involved with us do it because it's hopeful. It's like, you know, I can do something today that can take place in the next year or two that could really make a difference for my kids and my grandkids and, and, and you know, really have an impact on, on what's going on. And I think people feel good about helping us and, and contributing to, to our science. So um, to me, that, that hope and that is not some solution that's you know, going to take place 10 or 20 years from now. It's kind of like, you know, this is rather immediate when we're looking at, at what we're doing. Um, hopefully that's appealing enough that we can keep raising enough money to keep on track, you know, and the more money we raise, the faster we can go too. So because because of the way we're structured now where we can, we can have simultaneous, um, you know, research and things going on, um, the more money we have, we can, we can really move this five-year technology plan can become a three or four-year technology plan. And we can just get out there and do our thing. Yeah, I have to add one of the reasons we started this podcast was because we were a bit anxious because of that all doom and gloom, uh, yeah. you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we wanted to share some success stories and people who are making positive uh, impact. Mm-hmm. Talk about climate change. Um, so yeah, I'm. I also am hoping that people are going to change their perspective, um, and yeah, maybe invest in in what you guys are doing or some other startup startup NGOs companies mm-hmm. that are developing uh, climate positive technologies. Um, but I have to ask you one more question: since we are a marketing agency, yeah. has marketing uh, helped you to spread your messages? And if yes, in what way? I think marketing plays, you know, it's as important as the science that we're doing because, as I mentioned, people need to understand um, how important the Arctic is in, in um, climate change. And that's how we get funding, really, is educating people on what we're doing and then hoping they respond. And um, we're continuously educating people, not only on what we're doing, but, you know, real interesting things that are coming out in, in climate change and stuff. And I think we're, we've actually um, shifted some of our resources to marketing, too. So we're not just a scientific organization. We have to marry that with, you know, helping people understand and educating what's going on. Um, and not only to help what we're doing, but people just need to understand, uh, you know, and and I do think, as I mentioned, that, you know, we we contain a little bit of message of hope and, and you were talking about why you do this podcast you know it's good for people to understand that there are people that are working on this and it was even interesting um we had a fundraiser a few months ago and we had a, a group of volunteers that were there that were they were high schoolers and it was great we had you know like a dozen volunteers helping us but we also had all these funders who are more mature and and you know and kind of in that stage of life where they have some um excess resources and they can help us with funding right and they were they were energized by each other saying you know that so these more mature funders were like wow look at these youth youth group that's here and they're helping us and then the the younger people were like look at all these older people that really care about what's going on because i think of a lot of the younger generation things you know everybody's just left us a mess and nobody cares you know and and there are a lot of people that care and i think just 
it's part of that, hey, we're in this together. You care, we care. Let's just, let's just get this done. Let's do that together. And and so, you know, we're not that fact of we're not alone and, and other people care. That was really powerful, you know, and not only did we raise some money, but, you know, we came together as a community of, of like-minded people that, you know, coming from different spaces that were like, oh, I'm so glad you're here. You know, thanks for being here. And um, I think that's that's all important, you know. Yeah, you mentioned, you also mentioned that you have some educational videos, I suppose, mm-hmm. text blogs. Where can people find those? Um, so we're we're just getting better with that. And um, we're on our website and over the next couple, we're arcticeproject.org. Um, and, and there's, you know, if you, if you want to go nitty gritty, our white papers and our manuscripts and things that are published are on there. But, I mean, we're trying to simplify some of those messages for general audience. So um, that's part of our marketing strategy is to make things a little easier and, um, to be digested and understanding and not use all the scientific tech, not technological um, vocabulary and things and, and just bring it into our everyday lives. So it'll be on all of our social media. It'll be on, you know, on our website. And I think, I think we're going to see our social media really um, becoming more engaging and interactive so we've we've got um a really talented um young graduate who who um has her specialty is digital media and you know so we've invested in that and know that that's important as part of our marketing strategy yeah i'm really looking forward to that we had a huge success with our um digital marketing strategy so i i believe that you guys are going to do the same good yeah. <laughs> so uh, my next question was, um, how do you communicate your mission and purpose and how that has changed? But I believe you also gave us the answer that, that now you're moving uh, towards uh, uh, digital and simplifying your language, right? Yeah, but I go beyond that a little bit because um, really our goal is not to deploy this ourselves. So our goal is to get this to a point where it's understood, um, it's easily explained, and it's kind of tied up in a bow, and we can hand it over to somebody that's got the type of scope and resources that we don't. So if we're talking about military or, um, you know, some nation state or consortium of, of, of you know, nation states uh, to deploy this over 10 or 20 years. So, you know, that's a multi-million dollar prospect every year, but as we mentioned, it's much more cost efficient than than the crises that would happen if we don't do this. So, um, so our communications and our partnerships are going to need to include um, policy and you know collaborations on that different kind of scale as you get different types of people to be interested in what we're doing. So you know if that's politicians or military or you know international groups um, that can help us you know understand and accept what we're doing and be confident that what we're doing is safe will be the next. So our, our target audience is going to change over time a little bit. And I actually learned something really recently, which I thought was important. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't know about the rest of the world, but in the U.S., um, you know, climate is a little bit of a charged word. And, and you know, there's some political people that just you know, you bring up something about climate, you know, you're going to get half the people that are going to be like, oh, you know, we're not going to go there. But um, I was talking to somebody that, you know, if you translate some of this, this climate change and technology and things into vocabulary around security, then it becomes something that, that um, they need to pay attention to in politics. 
And so I think that's another level of collaboration we're going to have to look at is how do we translate this into measures or, um, or, or studies or, or papers where politicians are going to look at this and say, okay, yeah, this is, this is a security issue. This is something about, you know, our, keeping our nation stay, safe. And, um, and so I think that's interesting too. So as we move forward with our journey, you know, we're learning more about how we have to um, communicate about what we're doing to be successful in our ultimate goal is to get this deployed. So our target audience is going to change, our collaborations are going to change. And um, I also think that you know, geoengineering has kind of gotten it, this negative connotation to it as well. And, um, you know, we kind of, we like to look at ourselves as a climate restoration solution, you know, but um, there's just a lot of people that, you know, are afraid of geoengineering and, you know, what's it going to do to all these other things. But what we don't realize is the world we're living in now is is a product of geoengineering. You know, all these things that we've done in the world have have screwed up the way the the Earth operates, and and we're living with those consequences right now. So at least if we're moving forward with stuff and we're looking to be safe and we're looking at you know how to do this, it's it, it might technically fall under the geoengineering category, but um, but we're being thoughtful about it, which is you know things that we're doing 20, 30 years ago, we weren't being thoughtful. We were just doing you know this is good. This is gonna this is gonna um, be good for our bottom line at our company or, you know, conveniences for this or that, you know, and I, it's just about being more thoughtful with, with what we're doing. I would add thoughtful. transparent as well. You are exactly. Yeah. Which is yeah. important. Yeah, exactly. And we're all, you know, we will share our data. We'll, you know, we're, we're not about keeping it um, just to ourselves. It's, you know, let's say this works and then where else can we apply this that, that can have you know, exponential benefits as well? So, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And if it doesn't work, you're uh, searching for new solutions, which is also yeah. promising, I have to say. We are living in this era of greenwashing. So um, I personally am really excited when I see that um, a startup company, NGO, is actually investing their time into transparent communication. So Right. And, yeah, yeah, and another thing that um, these aren't unintended consequences, but we're 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 figuring out is something that we need to to market more. And so, if somebody's following us; they're going to realize we're going to start talking about this a little bit more. But um, these we call them HGMs, hollow glass microfibers, are are what we use. Um, but they actually can help with um, the pH balance of the ocean and with carbon sequestration. So, you know, those are kind of buzzwords you know and things that people are investing money in i think if we talk about that a little bit more than just the solar radiation management then then we could be more successful in getting more collaborations and more funding so you know really really um demonstrating the properties that this has once it you know potentially melts and gets into the ocean and some of that so my last question would be what are the future plans and projects that the arctic ice project has in store for future to to further its mission and impact some of well, them you already mentioned but uh you know it's really to, to keep focusing on this because it has such promise and and it, it, it our research is telling us that um you know it appears to be safe and so until we hit something that you know becomes a barrier for us to keep moving down this path um 
and bring people along with our progress, obviously. And, uh, you know, this five-year technology plan is going to take about 20 to $30 million for us to execute. So it's no small task to raise that amount of money. And um, again, the sooner the better. If, let's, if, if we can get more money quicker than the overall cost goes down, we get something out there quicker. We can, you know, we know, we all know faster is better when it comes to um, deploying, but obviously safety is key too. So um, I, I just think that because we're the only ones focusing on this, we'll, we'll stay focused in the Arctic. We hope that this solution um, comes to fruition and that we start really reaping the benefits of all these efforts that have been happening. And then just to, you know, you not not to be doom and gloom all the time, but, you know, I was really surprised when the article came out a couple of weeks ago saying, you know, loss of the Arctic ice in the summer is inevitable. And, you know, it's like, wow, this should be top level news that, you know, and every aspect in here, instead we're, we're hearing about politics and, you know, you know, other things going on. And um, it's just, that's frustrating, you know? Um, and it, I just think that the, the you know, dual focus on education and actually getting our research done, you know, that that's, that's a lot for us to be doing right now and we need the funding to do it. And I think we've got a good focus. And I think too that um, just the message of hope you know, that this is a relatively quick thing that could happen. And um, the progress gives me hope. You know, it's one of the reasons that I spend my time doing this, because I think it can really have tremendous impact across the globe. And, you know, I, I know people know this, but, you know, climate change doesn't affect people equally across the globe. And there's there's people that haven't done anything to deserve the consequences not that anybody deserves any of this but you know i think it's up to some of um these larger nations that are contributing to this more to come up with the solutions and and to make sure that uh, we're looking at um some kind of equity you know in and how this hits people and just that this can have a global effect i think um feels good to be focusing on something that can make an impact as soon as it's deployed so well, Annette, uh, thank you again for your time and this lovely conversation. And I really wish you all the best with your project. Thank uh, you. Yeah, I'm rooting for it. I really love it. <laughs> Me too. Let's get some more people. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us um, and, and for, for helping us explain what, you know, why this is so important. No problem. That's what we do here. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And uh, we wish you much more success too in the good news out yeah thank you uh, like i said i love this positivity within the clean tech biotech nature tech space so um that thank you once again Thank you for watching or listening another episode of Green New Perspective, a podcast series dedicated to sustainability. So if you like our content, if you like our interviews and guests we're bringing here, don't forget to hit that subscribe button to stay updated with the latest insights and innovations in clean tech, nature tech, and biotech space.
Also, feel free to share a podcast with others who share your passion for a greener future. And we welcome your feedback and suggestions to make our episodes even better. So until next time, leave that comments, hit that subscribe button, and see you again. Bye!